Genesis 1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse, and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the fourth day. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to look at the first 19 verses quickly. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. The biblical recording of time, Hebrews still practice this to this day, is the day begins at sundown evening to morning till the next sundown. That makes a day. It goes all the way back to creation. God created the heaven and the earth. It was dark. 
And then, let there be light. It was light, completing the day, the first day. Verse 6, then God said, let there be a firmament, or you could say an atmosphere or an expanse, in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. What does that mean? Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven or the sky. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So this is our atmosphere that was covered with a, you could say, a canopy of water at this time. So it's above the water and under the water. There's this expanse in between. Where was that water canopy? I'm not sure. It could have been the ozone layer. This is the one day of creation at the end where God says it was so. He does not say it was good. Could it be he was looking at prophetically that one day that canopy would fall and flood the earth in judgment? Verse 9, Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas. So land and water, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass, the herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, the herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit, whose seed is in itself according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, let there be lights, plural, in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, and it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. We'll stop there today. Is four days long enough to create all that? Does God need four days to do something like that? Various theories are out there. You know, obviously there's a theory of evolution where the earth took millions of years for these things to evolve. The problem with that theory is if you inject that into creation and in your theory, you you have to also remember the sun will be much bigger. And the further back in time you go, the larger the sun becomes to the point nothing could live because the sun would be so huge, it would be so hot. So talk about global warming, you would have a problem there with that. There's also the theological theories. There's the thousand-year day theory. Who's heard that? I was raised in a family that taught that. We taught search for truth, and search for truth taught that each of the creative days were a thousand years long because Peter wrote, a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. So let me ask you a question. Is 6,000 years long enough to create this? 
Is it long? Does God need 6,000 years to be able to do all this? He has to have it. Then there's the, the dispensational 7,000-year theory, which kind of got blown out of the water when we passed 2000 A.D. But the concept is there's 6,000 years of man's history, then a 1,000-year millennial. And so God duplicated this in creation, so God needed 42,000 years. Does he need 42,000 years to create all this? Then there's the gap theory. Look at chapter 1. People I respect hold to the gap theory. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said. So this theory is there's a gap in time between verse 2 and verse 3. So the earth... With water, darkness pre-exists the creation. We're speaking forth of light. So how long is that? And then there's the fourth day theory. The sun wasn't created until the fourth day. So, and it was set in place for the measurement of time and seasons. So maybe the days preceding the fourth day weren't 24-hour days. I would suggest to you that God doesn't need six days. He doesn't need six seconds to create anything. He can say, let there be, and it shall be. So as the Scriptures reveal it as six days, it's for our understanding so that the biologists and the zoologists and the botanists and the astronomers and the astrologers and the heathens and outlaws can keep up with them for understanding. The bottom line is don't get caught up in the time argument because you don't go anywhere. Just, you just get lost in eternity, right? Stick to the design argument. You sit in a chair that's been designed. Would you trust all your weight in something that just kind of happened? Just a blob? Would you do that? No. You'd make sure it was made well. You're sitting in the building that, that was checked out by engineers before it was erected by professionals. Volunteers did not build the building. Granberry Welding did. Oh, no. They didn't weld it, but they, their crew assembled it. It was designers involved. And so it is. You live with all this beauty. There must be designers. Watch this. Architecture showcases man's ability to think big. Art demonstrates man's ability to think in abstractions. Engineering engages man's ability to defy the forces of nature. Literature articulates man's ability to communicate effectively. Government reveals man's ability to organize and function in community. Yet no matter how dramatic the building, no matter how brilliant the art, no matter how powerful the engineering, no matter how persuasive the literature, and no matter how efficient the government, no creative, intellectual, social, or scientific accomplishment of man could ever compare to the single most phenomenal act of God, the creation of life itself. Intelligent design? I would say so, wouldn't you? He is the image of the invisible God 
the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. I've shown that video before. I love it a lot because it focuses on Jesus, which is what we're doing in our journey through the probably the most read book in the Bible. If you've ever attempted to read through the Bible, you always start in Genesis every time you attempt to make it, right? And the Hebrews read through the first five books of the Bible every year. It is an amazing book full of amazing stories but we got to linger in chapter one for a little while because it is so foundational. It's the roots of the gospel. Last week, we looked at the first verse. In the beginning, or better sheet, in the beginning, better sheet, Bera created God, Elohim, the Aleph and Tav, which implies a direct object. I dare say it's probably there because God is the first and the last, and this being you know, the oldest form of Hebrew literature that we have, it's significant. He created the heavens and the earth. The word Bereshit, if you break it down by letters, Bet, Rash, Aleph, Shin, Yod, Tav. A bet implies a house. Resh implies a first. You put the two together, you get Bar, which implies a son. Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet. It implies God, symbolized by an ox head, something that's offered in sacrifice to honor God. A shin is teeth, or to destroy or consume. Yad is a hand, symbol for a hand. Yada is to raise the hands in worship. Tav is their last um, letter of their alphabet. And if you follow the origins of alphabets, a lot of them have similarities the further you go back in primitive times. So the original form for a tav is two cross sticks. So you put those together. By researching the letters, you get the word bereshit, which, which implies the son, the son of God, was destroyed by the hand of man on the cross. Check it out. Check it out. It's worth looking into. Today, I'd like to speak to you on the subject creations illumination. Can you say light? light? Light. In the first verse, I'm going to look at four verses, just portions of them at certain Hebrew words just because they're so important. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word there for God is used 31 times in this chapter. It's the word Elohim. It's the plural of the word El. Some of you may have El in your name. Elizabeth, has something to do with God and the house. Bethel, churches that are called Bethel, the house of God. Daniel, God is my judge. So it's a plural of God. It's used specifically in, in uh, communicating his supremacy. Occasionally it will be used to describe leadership, magistrates, judges, angels, because they, they stand in a, in a place in their function like God. It's a, as a superlative, it can mean exceeding, great, or mighty. This attribute of God, this is who he is, he can say us and we 
and be speaking from himself. Later on in the chapter, we'll read, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. That's God. He's singular, yet he can speak of himself in the plural. In Isaiah's calling into prophetic ministry, remember he was, he was uh, in the temple and witnessed the glory of God. He hears a voice after his lips are cleansed and his iniquity is purged. It says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? That's God. That's Elohim. Next word, spirit of God, or the spirit of Elohim was hovering over the face of the waters on the face of the earth. That's the Hebrew word ruach. Say ruach. Notice there's breath at the end of that. It implies wind, breath, a sensible or even violent exhalation. Purposeful. It refers to life or anger, or it can even be a region of the sky. Uh, by resemblance, it can resemble a, a, just a general word for spirit, but it's the spirit of someone who's rational. It's not just, you know, school spirit. Air, blast, cool, cool breeze, uh, courage, mind, sigh, tempest. You know, when the three Hebrew guys, their heathen names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that kind of got stuck in their minds. Nobody remembers their Hebrew, their Hebrew names, right? They're pagan names. When they were thrown in the fiery furnace, the ropes that bound them were burned off, but their clothes didn't burn. And the rabbis for centuries have taught that they didn't feel the fire, they didn't sweat, they were clothed in a cool breeze. Could it not be they were protected by the Ruach of Elohim? Let there be light, verse 3, and there was light. The Hebrew words expressing let there be light are the same words that expressing the existence of light. Let there be is the word hayah. Can we say hayah? Haya. Means to exist, to be, or to become. It literally said light be or light become, to come to pass. It's always emphatic. It means to break, to cause, to continue, or to happen. And the word for light is the word or. Uh, it means illumination. Or it could be an illuminary, like a star could be an oar. Or lightning could be an oar. It could mean to be bright, clear. It could refer to the day, light, morning, sun. It, it could refer to all these things. But God, on this first day of creation, declared illumination become. He declared for light to shine on his creation. And light became. What he said became reality. He calls those things which be not as though they were, which do not exist as though they already did. The entrance of God's word, Psalm 119 says, brings light. Um, his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. And then verse 14, talking about the lights in the firmament, the stars, the sun, and the moon that reflects the light of the sun. That's the word ma'or. You have the word or there. It refers to a luminous body or a luminary. Abstractly, it could refer to light in general as an element. It could be brightness, cheerfulness, or even a chandelier. 
So let there be light, let there be or, and then let there be ma'or. The sun to shine on earth and to help us keep time. Anybody got your pocket sundial? <laughs> I heard about a church that was raising money country church for a chandelier. They wanted to be fancy like the big churches. And they had one of those business meetings. Who's ever been to those business meetings? An old man stood in the back and says, I'm again it for three reasons. Number one, it's too expensive. Number two, we don't have anybody here that knows how to play it. And number three, what we need around this place is some lights. <laughs> so, some may have a little consternation, a little concern for verse 3, light being created, and then verse 14, light's being created. What's going on? How could there be light on the first day of creation if the sun and stars were not created until the fourth day? Why would you think that? Because light has to have a source, right? Right? If you see the light, you look for the source of the light if you want to turn it off, right? Where's that bulb at so I can unscrew it because the switch is broke? Well, the source of the light is God himself. His word, let there be. Until he created the sun and stars, God himself miraculously provided the light for his new creation. John, in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 5, says, This is a message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. The same book says God is love. We know that love is not God because the love you may talk about may not be a godly love, right? You may love the wrong thing. But God is love, and light is not God, but God is light. On the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, Christ was transfigured before the disciples that were with him, and the scriptures say his face shined like the sun. In 1 Timothy 6.14, it says the Lord dwells in unapproachable light. Psalm 104 verse 2 speaks of God covering himself with light. And I'm just getting started. Isaiah 60, 19, the Lord shall be everlasting light. Psalm 36, 19, in your light, O Lord, we see light. And then Malachi talks about the sun of righteousness, S-U-N, arising with healing in his wings. So this is significant, that God himself is the source of the light. He's the source of creation, right? Let there be light. And he, I believe, provided that light in advance of the stars. Much more important than the light of day and night or the source of it is the light that provides eternal life to all who believe in him. That's the question to ask. Have I received the light of eternal life? Those who do not believe in the Lord Jesus, he said, will be doomed to what he called outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can you say no light? Those who follow Jesus will be blessed with eternal life 
and live forever in the place where he himself is the light. Look at this. Revelation 21, 23, it says the city, speaking of the heavenly city, does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Who remembers the old song, In That City Where the Lamb is Alive? In that city where the Lamb is alive. In that city where there cometh no night, I have a mansion over there, and it's free from toil and care. I am going where the Lamb is the light. So, if he's the light in the new earth, in the new heaven, this is a non-question as to how come the sun didn't come around and yet there was light. He's the source. Verse 24 of that same chapter the nations will walk in its light, the light of the Lamb, glory of God. And the kings of the world will enter the city in all their glory. Its gates will never be closed at the end of day because there is no night there. And all the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. The next chapter says, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever." Jesus is the light of the world, and he's a light of heaven. We looked at this last week. Light's creation reminds us of Jesus and points us to his revealing. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, John 1, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And verse 9, that was the true light which lights every man that comes into the world. Romans 1 says that God has revealed himself to everyone through his creation. Through the evidence of his design, we know that the divine designer is real. And man who blinds himself to it with his theories, is choosing to live in darkness. Receiving Jesus involves believing Jesus. For God so loved the world, he said these words, that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. So the world is living in darkness apart from the life of God, and Jesus came as the, as the lifeboat, as the bridge, as a lifesaver, as it were, to bring life to those who will come to him. Well, I'm going to choose some other way. Well, God in his kindness has provided a way. Jesus said there is no other way to a relationship with the Father. Well, I just don't believe that. Well, you have chosen not to believe in Jesus. Now, those of us that have chosen to believe in Jesus, we have received divine help. God has helped us to believe. He's caused saving faith, which is a gift of God, to, to dawn in our heart. Open your heart to the possibility of God opening your eyes. Cry out to him for help. Jesus described himself as a light to the world. 
I am the light of the world, John 8, 12. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the doorway into walking in his light is beginning to believe in him, that he is who he is. In John 12, he said, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. So our condition without him in our life, even though we may have a lot of illumination, a lot of education, we do not have eternal light in our life except through Christ. The final point is this question, have you received the light of the world? Every good gift, the brother of Jesus wrote, and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's not going to accept some other way. He's provided the gift, the good gift, the perfect gift for us to receive. Let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, if anyone here has not seen the light, that you are the Savior of the world, that you died to pay our fine before the courts of heaven, that you took our place, you took our penalty, you were our substitute. Lord, I pray that your, your, their eyes would be opened to understand this fact from history that an innocent man was killed. And something happened called the resurrection. It has significance and meaning to so many people. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of every unbeliever in this house today, that they would see the glorious light of the gospel, that it's true. He died for my sins. I can be forgiven. I am forgiven. I can be made whole and be made one with, with all the saints. And I too can look forward to that city where the Lamb is alive. Let this song be a prayer for you to draw near to the Lord. Whether you know Him and have been far from Him, or you desire a closer walk with Him, or you're just now opening up to the fact that Jesus is the Savior of the world. So I'll run to the fire.
Receiving the light of eternal life involves walking in the light. Having received God's light, the truth that Jesus is the way to heaven, it involves pursuing Him. And that involves three things the Holy Bible, His Word, beginning to read it. And when you come, passages that generate questions you ask 
for answers from people that you trust that have been following Jesus longer than you have. It doesn't have to be a whole lifetime. They don't have to have a seminary degree. I'm not throwing rocks at that. But someone that's been following Jesus longer than you have and, and getting answered to those questions. So the Holy Bible involves the Holy Spirit asking God to come into your life and fill you. Fill every corner of your life with God. Prayer and worship, so important. And the third thing, walking in the light involves, involves the holy people. Not the perfect people, but the holy people. The people that have been set apart for God's purpose. The people that are also pursuing His holy word and His holy spirit. And that's more than just Sunday morning attendance. It's wonderful. But there's other things involving holy people in our life. It's friendships. There's fellowship. There's Bible studies. There's phone calls. There's technology. I encourage you to take it another step and begin to walk in the light at a, at a greater level than you have before. Amen. This life of walking in the light isn't called to be walked alone. It's called to be walked with Jesus. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And may that peace be reflected by the light of God's love in your life to all the world around you. And if you can, stand eat with us. God bless you. Go get him, tigers.